Welcome to the HMO Success Podcast. My name's Wendy, and this podcast will help you invest in houses of multiple occupation. Licensing, planning, and building control. Hi, and welcome to the HMO Success Podcast. Today, I am with Andy, my husband, and we are going to talk to you about the legalities of setting up an HMO. And some of these can be actually quite confusing, can't they, Andy? It is a tough subject, and the more time goes on, the more complex it seems to get. But actually, in its essence, it's probably fairly simple. But there's a lot there to unpack. Once you have unpacked it, it's generally fine. So first of all, thank you very much for joining me today You're on the welcome. podcast. My it's pleasure. really no nice to have you here today. Yep. And the reason that I've invited you into the, the program is because nowadays you tend to be much more involved in the legal side and the, the development of our portfolio. Yep. So I thought it was worth bringing you in so that I could check out my understanding of some of these areas. And uh, I think I've got some other complementary areas that I can also discuss. You might have some questions for me. Well, I'll compliment you on your complementary areas <laughs> in that case. Okay, let's, let's, let's get going. That sounds fine. So I think one of the big areas that people often confuse with HMOs is planning and licensing. And while these two are both equally important in HMOs, they're quite different areas they're, of law. They're very separate, aren't they? So why, why don't we start off talking about planning, perhaps? So planning applies when you change any building into a different, what's called a use class. So generally around the, the UK, buildings have been defined as to the way they're used. So most residential properties, for example, are C3. So, you know, the house that we live in, that will have a use class attached to it of a C3. And that is that just regular residential usage? Absolutely. That's regular yeah. residential property is use class C3. But you couldn't run a shop out of a C3 building, could you? Because no. Because that's not residential. Correct. Normally with a small HMO, so a small HMO is counted as having six beds or less, you would fall into the C4 category. Now, it's true that you're changing from a C3 to a C4, but in most parts of England, you don't need planning permission to they change. They just let you do that, do they? It's like, just fine, you know, carry on, basically. You, you sometimes need to notify the building control department, and this is where it gets confusing, because building control is not planning. And they don't always talk to planning very much, of course, often a completely separate department. And we'll come on to building control. We we're always going to come on to building control. But you don't need to apply for planning permission. Okay. You don't need full planning permission to apply to take a C3 ordinary home and turn it into a C4 small HMO. That's covered under something called... Permitted development. That's it, permitted yeah. development. So permitted development is the tool that allows us to change a building from one use class to another without having to apply for full planning permission. Fine. Now, in certain areas of the UK, that permitted development right has been withdrawn. And those areas are known as Article 4 areas because an Article 4 direction has been made by the council and it is an, an area, a geographic area that has been delineated. It's, it's like a ring fence that's been put around that area and no automatic 
permission is given. So permitted development has been removed from that area. What so, happened to the other articles? One, two and three. I, they, I, they were no good. They were just drafts. <laughs> Article four is where they got to the good one. Absolutely. Article four is the one that counted. So they stuck with that one. So what it means is that if you are in an Article four area, you cannot automatically change a property from C3 to C4 under permitted development. Right, well, let's just think that through for a moment. So what you're saying is, is that you actually cannot take in that area a, a regular residential abode and do any, any kind of multi-use aspect in it at all without getting planning permission. Is that correct? That's correct. Right? Yes, absolutely. So okay, if you're going so to do a residential... That's an important distinction then, isn't it, really, in that area? So in, in an Article 4 area, if you're going to take a normal residential house and turn it into a residential multi-let, you need to get full planning permission. Right. And go through all the rigmarole, pay your planning fees, talk to the planning officer, wait for 5,000 weeks, get an answer, all that kind of thing. Yes. Okay. Now, it doesn't mean you'll automatically get planning permission either. Remember, you have to apply, but because it's Article 4, that also indicates that the council is usually, this is why they normally put Article 4 in, is usually trying to restrict planning applications they want to reduce the number of hmos in the area so let let me ask let me ask you a bit of a question about article four then because you know let's say you think oh well what i'll do is i'll just take a a regular house and i'll just let it to just two 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 people i won't put any locks on the doors or anything like that but i'll just let to two people on two asts and on two separate asts in that house is that is does that trigger planning permission in that area do you think the short answer is no because an hmo is deemed to have three people who are unrelated sharing ah fine so two people you're fine with yeah but once you step over into the third person so you said three people or more or yes. more than three people yes three people so it's, and more. it's that third person that triggers the need for a planning application and it's presumably three the third ast so you can rent to three people in a family you could rent to a family of 10 because that's one ast but once you've got three asts going in a building that's what triggers the planning yes i i think that we have to bear in mind of course that if you're also going to be making changes to the building physically, that that has a an impact as well. So yeah. you may be planning on creating more rooms, for example, in that building. Yeah. And that's also a consideration as to whether you need to then get planning permission uh, for, for those changes. Because yeah. uh, it's it's about physical changes as well as the, the use of the building that would trigger planning. Of course. Okay, that, I think that's pretty clear. So that's Article 4, wasn't it? And so planning. Article uh, absolutely. 4 and planning. So, right. okay. For some people, they say, well, maybe I shouldn't buy in an Article 4 area. Again, I think there's... Well, why pro- would they say that? Because the risk is that you're not going to get planning permission. Oh, So the risk is you'd buy a property, you then don't get the planning permission, and then you're stuck with a property that you can't convert into an HMO. Interesting. Now, okay. that's true. It is a risk. However, of course, you could buy a pre-existing HMO in one of those areas. That's already got the planning permission. Or has historical use attached to it. So in that case, if it's a if it's a property that was converted many years ago to a shared or a multi-let type of property, all that you would need would be a certificate of, of lawful use. You wouldn't, yeah. again, need to go through full planning. Okay. 
Now, I think with any of these more detailed questions on specific properties, the best thing is either to contact the local planning officer in your local council and uh, arrange to have a call or a meeting with them to discuss the particular property. Um, or alternatively, you could, of course, come into the Facebook group, the Ultimate HMO Success System Facebook group and ask the question there. And then somebody on the group will be able to answer your question. I mean, that second option is by far the cheaper of the two, in my experience, because from what I know in this area, even speaking, even asking to speak to a planning officer tends to cost hundreds of pounds, um, which if you ask me is a total shakedown racket. But anyway, that's a completely separate topic <laughs> for another day. You could, of course, uh, speak to a, um, a planning consultant as well. That's another no, option. That's, and that's of, often the better thing to do as well, actually. Yes, good. Now, okay, that's pretty straight, I think, on planning. Really. But there's another point about planning, that anything, any building that you're taking above seven beds seven oh, bed yes. HMO, yeah. that does again trigger planning. Whether you are in an Article 4 area or not, you are effectively taking that property from being a, a small HMO to being a larger HMO, in which case it falls into the use class of sui generis. And it's irrespective of floors as well, isn't it? It doesn't even matter if you did it all on the ground floor. It, would still, be, it would still trigger that planning. So recognize that if you're going to do a larger HMO, you will need planning permission to stay yeah. within the bounds of the law. There are some debates about this. Uh, there are some legal nuggets uh, where people haven't gained planning permission for a large HMO because there are ways through this without getting full planning. But to be on the safe side, I think it is uh, less risk to apply for full planning and uh, take your, your property full through that process if you're going to have seven bedrooms or more. I mean, I agree with that. One thing to keep in mind, though, is that lack of have, lack of planning permission for a building is not viewed by the law, as far as I can tell at least, as anything like as serious a problem as, for example, breach of housing standards or breach of bill or not having a building control certificate, for example. Planning is a completely civil matter. Um, and what happens if you don't get planning and you should have, you can be served with a planning enforcement notice, but that sounds often quite a lot stronger than it really is, and it can take years to get these things through the courts, um, and it's frankly all a bit of a game, actually. But as you've said already, the way to not even have that game is to get the planning sorted in the first place. But it's worth realising that planning is a kind of a lower deal in the grand scale of things than particularly building control because building control is all about health and safety planning is just about what well, the planning for the built environment really so they're, they're different orders of magnitude i think it's also worth pointing out that for a refinance on an hmo your mortgage broker may insist that you do get full planning and yes. in fact you know the mortgage lender yeah. may also want to see the planning certificate to say that this has now got full planning and has got the authority of the council to be a 10-bed HMO, for example. Because they want to reduce their risk and, and risk of any problems in terms of revenue generation in the future, I suppose. So that's worth bearing in mind that you, you can decide whether you do apply for planning permission or you don't, but that is a risk that if you don't, you may not be able to get your commercial finance at the end of it. Why don't we talk about licensing now, Wendy? 
So licensing. My favourite topic. I love absolutely. <laughs> if there's one thing every day that I wake up, it's disappointing when I don't wake up and I have a license, an HMO license to focus on. I think you, you know. sent me an email the other day about yeah. HMO licensing. Yeah, no, I'm always, I'm always looking for one to get involved in because it's exciting, it's dynamic, and it's and it's cost free. It's just what could be better than HMO licensing? Mm. We understand and hear your sarcasm. So licensing. So this is uh, sometimes confused with planning, and I hopefully our, our explanation of planning this morning has made you have a clearer picture of what that means in terms of developing HMOs, because licensing comes under housing standards. So housing standards is another part of the law, again uh, managed and run by your local council, and licensing is part of the housing standards. Um, remit that the local authority have. Now, licensing is the way by which the government has insisted that all five-bed HMOs or bigger, so if you've got a five-bed HMO or six, seven, eight, nine, ten, fifteen, four thousand, you need to have a license. And what the license does is it really confers the local authority seal of approval that you are, first of all, a fit and proper person. You have to pass that test to show that you can manage and run this HMO legally and properly and also that it meets all the required health and safety standards so the license gives uh, assurance to the tenants that it's uh, it's done to the right standards it gives assurance to your uh, now of course to your your mortgage lender that you meet the correct uh, health and safety uh, um, requirements and also it confers that legal kind of seal of approval with the local authority good now You've been much more involved in getting licenses on our HMOs than I have. So, I have. Andy, can you tell me what what's involved in getting a license and what do you need to be aware of? Well, similar with planning and similar with all of these government things, it's an awful lot of admin, really. Um, well, I still want to say an awful lot. It, it's a degree of admin. I don't want to over-egg this particular pudding. What you need to do is to, to collect together quite a lot of documentation so you need to have documentation to prove that your alarm system your fire alarm system is of the right category for the building probably not enough time to go into details on that now but it's if you ask um the building control officer involved or you can ask the fire department they will tell you the right kind of fire alarm that you need um you need to make sure that you're compliant with room size standards that's something that's newer really in the field of licensing um you need to make sure that you have escape windows in the right areas and i mean a a number of other things really so it's a lot of certificates gas certificates electrical certificates really they love the thing about local authorities they do love certificates i don't know where they put them all by the way their wall i bet they go on the wall don't they in a frame that's what it is i think there's too many they need lots more walls but but in return for submitting all of these certificates they give you another certificate which is an hmo license certificate and you can put that on the wall your end everybody's got the certificate everyone's happy yes um so no it's it's collecting together a lot of paperwork making sure the building is in a good standard they will then come out some an hmo licensing officer will typically come out um and they often want to engage you in what i would consider to be idle chit chat which i will have no part of whatsoever 
Um, I don't want to talk idle chit-chat to HMO licensing officers because a lot of the time what they want to do is get you to spend out money on things that you're not, le- you're not legally obliged to do. And actually that's a real diversion because it's not generating value for the end tenant. Um, it's really not helping anybody at all other than probably get the HMO licensing officer a better grading in their performance appraisal at the council or something, which is no business of mine whatsoever. So the key is be pleasant and polite, show the certificates that you've got, make sure you're on the right side of the law and then move on. Um, And if they start asking lots of questions about things that are not part of the licensing requirement, well, you can just politely put that to one side because it will just cost you extra money. And and at the end of the day, this is a business. It's not done as a charity. Um, So that's licensing. As you can tell, I've got mixed feelings about it. It's probably important that minimum standards are kept. I'm not particularly convinced that the licensing regime that we have at the moment is actually doing that. But that's probably a completely different debate for another day. So once you've had your inspection, once you've uploaded all your certificates... Then what what happens? Um, well, by that time you obviously paid for your license as well, which is important. And then they'll send you out a draft license, and the, and and that draft license goes to you, and I think it goes to other involved parties, uh, potentially neighbours. I, mean, I think it probably varies depending on which local authority is involved. Um, but everybody gets notified, and it's a bit like a marriage, really. You know, to any anybody who wants to object, speak now or forever hold your peace. Um, and if nobody objects, then about eight weeks later, you get your full license and then you've obviously got to find a frame and put it on the wall, put out the bunting and you've got your license, really. Now, that license has some legal obligations added to it, doesn't it? Well, it does. You you need to be, you, you have to commit to spending out, if there's an emergency at the property, spending out to fix up problems that cause health, health and safety issues. Um, you've got to commit to regular inspections of the fire alarm. Um, but you've also got to show it to the tenants when they move in, haven't you? You do. We do that electronically, of course. We, we, there's a link to a, a web display. Uh, that, that's how we handle it on our end. But you, you've got to show that to the tenant. I mean, frankly, they're never interested. I mean, this is just the, the whole nonsense of the thing. I don't think we've ever had a tenant who gives a monkeys about it. Mm. So licensing is something that, that has to be done if you have a five bed or a bigger, you know, a, a bigger than a five bed HMO, five beds or more. What about smaller HMOs? So let's say you have a four bed or even three bed no, HMO. So that's not licensable. So you just don't, don't license it. You should still install fire alarms in the right way um, and make sure that the building is healthy and safe, but a license is not required. So those properties are still covered by housing standards, but they're not covered by licensing, which means, as you say, there's some health and safety requirements that are needed, but you don't have to go to the full extent as you would, uh, for example, with uh, to the the, the lengths you'd have to do if you were licensing it. Yeah, that is exactly right. And And presumably minimum room sizes don't apply either. That is our understanding, is, is that they do not apply below the five bed, which again is a, is a bit of a puzzlement really and shows you some of the craziness of the law. But anyway, that's a topic for another day. Okay, so then the third thing I wanted to 
ask you about, Andy, was building control. Yeah. Again, I haven't recently been so involved in building control because you've tended to project manage the projects that we've right. been involved in. Right. So you've had a lot more to do with building control. So can you tell us what what is building control? What does it do? How do you engage with them, the, the, the building control team? And why does it matter? So build, building control, in my view, of all of the bits and pieces that we're talking about today, of all of the legal framework around HMOs, Building control is, is logically the most important and the one that I probably support the most of of all of them. You you can tell I'm a, a touch sarcastic about licensing and planning. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't feel you can't possibly tell. Anyway, um but building control is pretty important. Yeah, we've had some pretty big disasters. I mean you think about the Great Great Fire of London and there's umpteen, you can go back through history and uncover lots and lots of problems where people have been seriously hurt because buildings were built or refurbed to a standard that was not really safe. And of course... Um, well, there's a big debate going on about Grenfell Tower, well, isn't I mean, there? But let's not yeah, get into big debates into, about no, let's We not want some into, practical, I, tangible I, I, so I, advice. I, no, we're going to do that, we're <laughs> going to do that. So the point being is that once you intensify a building, which is what you're doing with creating an HMO, a licensable HMO, um, then building control does become important and usually um, part of the conversation on the HMO license if if really any kind of alterations to the building have been done at all anything physical the licensing officer will request the building control certificate to make sure that the works that have been done have been done in a in a proper way obviously the alarms have been installed sufficiently fire doors have been put on if you you may have uh, changed walls around chimneys, you know stoves. I mean, the, you, the list just goes on and on and on of things that you can do inside a building when you're intensifying with an HMO, and and that is where that you. As I say, I I, um, I do support the notion. Let's get somebody who's independently qualified in to say yes, what you've done is safe and you didn't just create a chimney by stacking up a pile of five or six bricks and no no mortar and no cement and you can just imagine can't you the kind of danger that people can get into so as long as you have done the build in the right way you'll get your build, building control certificate but the important thing is before you kick off the build, the build, when I say the build, I mean the refurb process before you kick that process off engage with building control find a sympathetic building control officer they're, they're all they're generally pretty good actually they're usually practically minded they just come up with decent solutions on things they're not always the most creative that's one thing i will say i have had times with building control officers who go well you know i want to see a, this this war this room being a lot better insulated and they'll call out a product that's hugely expensive and they'll say yes you could use that and you think, well, crikey, that's going to cost five grand. But if you do your research, perhaps talk to other builders in the area, they go, well, I can probably achieve that thermal um, effect. effect, but I know how to achieve, to achieve it for £200. It can be that different, OK? So they've got their legal standards to apply. You sometimes have to do the creative side of going, well, I'll, let, me, let me see if I can find something cheaper or that will work better on site. But if you can sell the idea to them and say, look, it does meet your requirement for the law or fire protection, whatever it is, 
they're fine. It's usually a happy conversation between you and the building control officer. They'll come down a few times. They'll tick tick off the uh, the project, and then at the end of it, you do get your building control certificate that, w- and it should say on it uh, conversion to HMO. And then if you can get listed out the things that you've done, you know, you've moved some walls around, you've changed the gas flue, what, whatever it might be, then that all adds weight to your. HMO licensing application because they can see that the right conversations have gone on between you and the building control officer and the whole thing's been handled professionally. Have I explained that okay? Yeah, I think that's really helpful. So the key takeaways for me would be Early on in the project, identify who your building control officer is, whether yes. you use, you could use an independent person yes. or you could use somebody from the council. Yeah. Notify them of the works that you're going to you do. You must do that at the start. And it's much better at the start because if you try and do it at the end, that really does cause you problems because they'll ask you to evidence things that might be now built behind several layers of, layers of plaster. How can you do that? So always at the start. Because they like to come and inspect. They do. And yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll do a couple of site visits. And they visits. take photos and all that kind of thing as you go on. And then once you've met the standards and they're happy, then you should receive your building control completion certificate a few weeks after the project. Yeah, usually. usually. We, we, we use a company, often use a company called J, JHAI in, in Stoke, and they've been very rapid, a couple of weeks usually, you get your certificate. Great, excellent. Okay, well, look, I think that is really, really helpful today. I think we've covered the those three main areas of planning, licensing, and building control, which are the three tricky areas when it comes to doing the refurb. Right, absolutely. Um, obviously, there is more we could say about housing standards, and perhaps we'll do a separate podcast on oh, housing yeah. I'll standards. I'll look forward to that. It's one of my favourite topics again, really. <laughs> uh, but generally, I think if you're meeting the, the standards laid out in licensing, then you can rest assured that you are meeting uh, all the required housing standards absolutely and of course there are more resources on the web you can go to the planning portal and that will give you lots of information not just on planning but also on building control you can look at all the different areas of building control uh, and I'm, there's, there's so many of them you know water sewerage uh, windows lighting electrical safety fire etc you can read through all of those acoustics etc and uh, if you want to know more information about licensing in your local area, contact your local council. They are the ones who will run your local licensing scheme. And uh, for building control, you could either use your local council or you could use an independent building control officer. So I hope today's has been a useful podcast to you. If you have any questions, please join our HMO Facebook group where we answer lots and lots of questions about HMOs all the time. And how can they find that? How do they get onto that group? So that is Facebook. And if you search for Ultimate HMO Success System, you can find that on Facebook and join the group. And we look forward to answering all your questions there. Thanks. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the HMO Success Podcast. If you'd like to know more about how you can create a profitable HMO business, please visit our website, hmosuccess.co.uk, to find out more. We have plenty of free tools and information for you there, and also on our Facebook group, The Ultimate HMO Success System. We look forward to connecting with you very soon. Thanks for listening.